Thousands of songs have been written about it. Thousands of movies, thousands of books, paintings, everywhere you look, especially at certain times of the year, like February the 14th. We love, we love people, we love food, we love pulled pork, uh, we don't love peppermint chocolate. Um, actually, I just remembered Miranda got me a peppermint chocolate on Friday, and it was actually really good. So, Lind peppermint chocolate. Uh, take it back, that all peppermint chocolate is bad. We love cars, we love clothes, we love chocolate, we love sunny days, and we love coffee. I should actually just say I, I love these things. And we have this one, we have this one four-lettered word uh, for it all, um, but it's not the F word that you're thinking of, it's love. Um, back in the 60s, love was a big deal. Love was uh, what everybody was thinking about, talking about. In uh, 1967, the Beatles had that song, and you might have opened the YouTube link that I sent on Friday. Sorry if you did, because you would have got that song stuck in your head, that all you need is love, they sang. And this was during the, the Summer of Love. I've talked about it a bit before. In um, Summer of Love era, there was hippies and flower power and Woodstock, and it looked like so much fun. You could run around with no clothes on in the mud. Um, Peace and love. What was it like, Dad? <laughs> Insane fashions, big afros, Jimi Hendrix. Man, it looked like a good time. And there was this uh, like driving motivation to usher in this new age where it would all be like peace and love. Everyone would just love each other. It would be easy. There would be no more wars. People could just do whatever they wanted. It would all be cool. And that was 52 years ago. So we're living the dream. Not really. There's still, we still fight. Um, there's still wars. There's still hate. And um, I don't think there's a whole lot of love and peace in our world at large. But still, we hold on to this idea. Universally, we still hold on to this idea that love, love is important somehow. Even if we can't figure out how to actually get it right. Just over a month ago... Um, at the end of October, there was, um, a, there was a couple of words and pictures that people here had during a, a church service. And it was, it was at this time, like these, these Sunday services that we have, where we all come together. It was a, it's a bit like a recalibration, like a, like a ground zero. When we come together as a church to worship, the, worship Jesus and to hear his word, it's like a recentering on Jesus, on who he is. Because we tend to drift. We can get a bit muddled. So we come together. And we worship and we center our attention on Jesus. Jesus who's the king over all the earth. The lion, the lamb. The way, the truth, and the life. The supreme one. The head of the church. The beginning and the firstborn from the, from the dead. And more. Like a lot of things that can happen during worship. And then we open up the word. We open up the Bible. And, and, and we sort of we enter into the story. And we realign our thinking. We try to realign our thinking with what the word of God says. And, it, and, it's, and it's like... What we're doing is we're trying to walk, like to get into rhythm with Jesus, to the one that we've just worshipped, to believe the same things that he believes. Because if he's God, then uh, it's probably worthwhile for believing the same thing he believes. To be challenged where we've drifted. And this is what, I'm, this is what I've really been reminded of as I've, I've come to this topic of love, the final Advent theme. Like what, what, does love, what does love have to do with Christmas? Man, it's not the first thing I think about when I think about Christmas. What does the Bible have to say about love? Is, 
Is the love that we talk about at church, is it any less vague than what the Beatles were on about back in 1967? Has our thinking about mud, uh, mud, <laughs> has our, all the time, <laughs> jumping up and down in muddy puddles, oh, okay, Peppa, Peppa, Peppa Pig, yeah, splish, 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 yeah, has our thinking of, about love got muddled, uh, has it got contaminated by worldly ideas of love? You know, love, uh, ideas of love that dominate the entertainment industry and the, in, and the media industry. So let's start with the Bible Project video that you might remember from last year. But man, I reckon there's a whole lot of stuff in here that uh, we could just repeat it every week. And I think that we would begin to grasp it. So let's go. So if you've heard of Jesus, you probably know about one of his famous teachings called the Golden Rule. Do to others what you would want them to do to you. And this, actually, is a restatement of something else that Jesus said, that the meaning of life is to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that's really beautiful, but what does he mean exactly by the word love? It's an unclear word in English, because you can love your mom and you can love pizza. And if the word love means the same thing in both of those cases, your mom's going to feel real bad. So what did Jesus mean in his language? Well, first of all, this love your neighbor phrase is a quotation from the Hebrew scriptures where the word for love is ahava. However, the language Jesus spoke and taught in from day to day, it was a cousin language of Hebrew that is Aramaic in which the word for love is rachma. But then, as Jesus' followers spread his teachings around the world, they translated them into Greek using the word agape. But here's what's fascinating. The earliest followers of Jesus who wrote the books of the New Testament in Greek, they didn't learn the meaning of agape by looking it up in ancient dictionaries. Rather, they looked to the teachings of Jesus and the story of his life to redefine their very concept of love. So one time, Jesus was asked about the most important command in the Jewish scriptures. And he first quoted from the ancient prayer in the Torah called the Shema. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. So love for God is the most important thing. But then Jesus quickly followed up by saying another command from the Torah was also the most important, to love your neighbor as yourself. So which is the most important, loving God or loving your neighbor? Jesus' answer is yes. To ask the question means you don't get his point. For Jesus, they are two sides of the same coin. Your love for God will be expressed by your love for people and vice versa, they're inseparable. And so this makes it clear that for Jesus, agape love is not primarily a feeling for someone else that happens to you, like our phrase, I fell in love. For Jesus, love is action. It's a choice that you make to seek the well-being of people other than yourself. Jesus also went on to teach that genuine love for God and others means seeking people's well-being without expecting anything in return, especially from people who are in difficult situations who can't repay you even if they wanted to. According to Jesus, this kind of generous love reflects the very heartbeat of God. And he took this even further. Jesus said that the ultimate standard of authentic love is how well you treat the person that you can't stand. Or in his words, you shall love your enemy and do good to them, expecting nothing nothing in return. For Jesus, this kind of enemy-embracing love imitates the very character of God himself. Now, we wouldn't be talking about Jesus still today if he had only said things like love your enemy. This is how he actually lived. 
Jesus was constantly helping and serving the people around him in very practical and tangible ways. And he consistently moved towards poor and hurting people who couldn't benefit him in return. He showed love for the forgotten ones, the people who usually fall through the cracks. And when Jesus eventually marched into Jerusalem, he made himself an enemy of the leaders of his people by accusing them of hypocrisy and corruption. But then instead of attacking his enemies to overthrow them, he allowed them to kill him. Jesus died for the selfishness and corruption of his enemies because he loved them. After Easter morning, Jesus and then his followers claimed that it was the power of God's love for the world that was revealed in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. As the Apostle Paul put it, God demonstrated his own agape for us in this. While we were still sinners, the Messiah died for us. Or in the words of the Apostle John, God's own agape was revealed when he sent his one and only son into the world so that through him we could have life. And for John, then, this leads naturally to the conclusion, beloved ones, if that's how God has loved us, then we ought to show love for one another. So Christian faith involves trusting that at the center of the universe is a being overflowing with love for his world, which means that the purpose of human existence is to receive this love that has come to us in Jesus and then to give it back out to others, creating an ecosystem of others-focused, self-giving love. And that's the New Testament meaning of agape love. That's so good, eh? I love it. All of it. I love you, mum. And I love burgers. <laughs> and I love IPA and chippies. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, what, like, think about the kind of things that, that that video speaks to you about. What kind of things do you take? Uh, for me, at, at the standout point is that, um, that love is more than, more than a feeling. That the love Jesus talks about is about doing is, is to do with the things that we do, like the way that we treat other people. Typically, the narrative of love in our culture is not that. Uh, it's it's often about romance. If we're talking about talking about love, often it's to do with romance. A boy meets a girl, they fall in love, they move in together, or they may get married, or they might not. And a few years down the track, they don't feel in love anymore. And then someone comes along, and someone else comes along, the one that they're truly meant to be with. So they leave the marriage or the relationship to be in love with their true love. Is that, that's kind of a story that we hear quite a lot there. I know it's a bit of a generalization, but that's a story that we hear a lot about. In our culture, the feeling of being in love, the, the feeling of being in love is what defines love. If we don't feel in love anymore, especially in a relationship like that, then we do not love the other person. Romantic love, it appears to be the main kind of love, or the highest form of love. But I think it's a narrow view. It's a, it's a piece of the picture, but it's not the whole picture. It's incomplete. For sure there's a feeling that we associate with being in love, my beautiful Tessa's out in Rug Rockers this morning, and it's a bummer because I wanted to tell this story while she was here. But um, I remember the first time I set eyes on Tessa. I was up here, I think, practicing in worship, and she walks in through the door down the back. And my heart went boom-a-dee-boom. <laughs> I, fell, I fell in love with her. It was so intense. Uh, it was 
so intense. Oh, because she's like the most beautiful woman in the world. Like, where was I? I know. Just thinking about it. Uh, but I'd have I'd have sleepless nights, and then uh, when I did sleep, I'd dream about her. Uh, um, you know, some of you know that um, I'm a little bit older than Tessa. Like I don't look it, but I'm 42, and <laughs> and she's not. She's a little bit younger than me. And so when when she came, actually, I was um, I was 28, and she was only 18. And so I thought this, you know, I you know I found the boomy boom going on, but it's like that I can't. Uh, that's uh, that's not allowed. Um, <laughs> And so, so I had to wait, and I, I'd like put her out of. My, I tried not to think about her, going, "This is just me being silly." And, um, and then I'd have these dreams about her, and I'd wake up, and the, that feeling would be back. It was uh, frustrating. Um, and then some of you might know she was also going out with another guy too. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and so, anyway, I just had to wait. I had to wait a long time. But um, the thing is. <laughs> <laughs> I stick to my notes. Um, it's 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 really. Uh, I don't think it's possible to live like that long term. I mean, I, sort of that, the intensity of that feeling was so full on. I think Dave Moody, where's he gone? You lost your appetite, eh? You couldn't eat. He couldn't eat. He was so. <laughs> you can't keep that up, can you? But there's that feeling, that's all I'm trying to say, is there is a feeling that some people experience, and we, some, we experience it sometimes, but we, it can't last forever, and it's not the full picture of love. Love is more than a feeling. It's a choice that you make to seek the well-being of other people, people other than yourself. That's what they said in the video. It's a choice. John, 1 John 4. 1 John 4. This whole book is about love. Beloved, let us... Love one another because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. God is love. God is love. Love comes from God. Before anything else existed, before the earth, before um, biochemistry and biological life, before the stars and the sun, before the universe, before angels, before the heavenly hosts, before anything else, there was God. And God is love. And as we've just seen, love is active. Love is other-directed. And this is a really beautiful aspect of the mystery of the Trinity, of the Godhead. That before time, when there was only God, love was still being expressed being expressed uh, within, the, within the relationship of the Godhead. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, loving each other. And Tim Keller writes about this in his book, The Reason for God. And there's a chapter that he writes called The Dance of God. And he writes, the inner life, I might have it up here, I do. The inner life of the Trinity is characterized not by self-centeredness, but by mutually self-giving love. 
each of the divine persons, so he's talking about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, each of the divine persons centers upon the others. None demands that the others revolve around him. Each voluntarily circles the other two, pouring love, delight, and adoration into them. Each person of the Trinity loves, adores, defers to, and rejoices in the others. And it's out of this really incredible, dynamic, active, other-centered love that God created the universe. He did not do it. He did not do it to. He did not create all of us just to receive love from us or to receive our worship and be glorified. But He did it in order to share His love with others. When we we're created in the image of God, we are created to love. We're created to be lovers. I think that when we love others, that we're actually tapping into our our eternal purposes, our eternal destinies. That's something, isn't it? That's crazy. That to think that sometimes we're like on a hunt to go, oh, Lord, show me what uh, my destiny is with my life. And, and sometimes it's as simple as just like loving the person that's right in front of you right now. Even if you don't like them very much. And that's your destiny in that moment. Hmm, something to think about. God is love, and love comes from God. Therefore, our definition of love needs to come from God. We've we got to be careful not to allow uh, our definition of love to come from, come from our culture or from movies and books and songs. Yeah, there's a lot of cool movies about love out there, but we've got to come back to God and the Bible and, and go, this is, where, this is where love is defined. Even our feelings and our experiences, they can get muddled. So the Bible talks about love, and it says this, it puts it into very concrete terms, very difficult terms. Love is patient. I love my little girl, Elena, but man, I get impatient with her, but I still love her. But I've got, to, I've got to get better at this. Love is patient. Love is kind. That's hard too. Love is kind. Love is, love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. This is that passage that often gets read at weddings. Um, and you can see why. But, it's, but it relates to all of life, not just, not just to marriage. God is love. I've said that a few times already. God is love. That's the reason why Jesus came, why he landed on planet Earth 2,000 years ago. In the John passage, it says, God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. It also says, <laughs> that's the bit that I was meant to read, um, God's love was revealed among us in this way. Oh, is that what I read? Oh, yeah, it is. I just didn't highlight it. God's love was revealed among us in this way. That's what I wanted to highlight. God's love was revealed among us in this way, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. He revealed his love to us. And it's like that most famous verse, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but, eternal, but have eternal life. And so what does love have to do with Christmas? Everything. <laughs> it's everything. Love is the reason. Love is the reason that Jesus was born as a baby boy to a virgin, a young woman called Mary, in a town called Bethlehem, David's town. 
God's love was revealed and demonstrated when, when, he sent, when God sent Jesus into the world. Love is the reason why Jesus went to the cross, why he took on himself our sins, our, our distance from God. Jesus took it on himself. God is compelled by love, and we are to be compelled by love as well. In the video that we watched, the Bible Project video, um, we saw what, what Jesus said. We heard what Jesus said when he was asked, which commandment is the greatest? It's like asking Jesus, God, going, well, what's the most important thing? What's the most important thing we can do? And Jesus replies, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. So with everything, right? Heart, soul, and mind. This is the greatest and the first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the laws and the prophets. All of it. I've been reading this, his, this history book um, about uh, worship in Anaheim Vineyard Christian Fellowship uh, in California. So if you have never heard of Anaheim Vineyard, it's the church that really began, it began it all for us, uh, as a vineyard church. Um, it was out of this church in Anaheim that um, churches, vineyard churches all over the world have, have been planted. When I was about, when I was seven years old, our family went over to um, over to the US and we visited Anaheim Vineyard. Um, <clears throat> I was seven, did I say that already? Uh, Nicholas was a few years older than me and so Nicholas and I went to the kids' church. It was an evening service. Hey, mum and dad. Yeah. We went to the kids' church and we uh, played American football. Uh, just touch, American football. We didn't know what we were doing. Um, Anna was five, five, and she fell asleep under the chairs. Um, and uh, mum and dad were really hit hard by John Wimber's preaching. He was in a wheelchair, eh? Yeah, he was in a wheelchair. Really, yeah, amazing church, um, which is really humming today as well. Anyway, back in the 1980s, Anaheim Vineyard had these three priorities. Uh, and that all begins with God's love and flow from there. This is their priorities. 1980, worship. Priority number one, worship. To give God's love back to him in worship. Therefore, we give priority to the ministry of praise and song to the Lord. Number two, fellowship. To give God's love back to each other. Therefore, we give priority to the involvement of adults and kinship groups for, for fellowship. So they're talking about some of their practical application. Evangelism and social concern. To give God's love to the community, to the ones outside of these walls, sharing the good news and caring for their needs. It's cool, eh? That's so cool. I was reading this and going, oh, I'm going to claim, I want to claim these for us. I know that it's back in 1980, it's old-fashioned, but I want to claim these for, for us. Um, for me, there's something about them that really resonates. I think it's the, some of the language that, he, that they use. Like to, it kind of implies that we're receiving God's love and then giving it away. Do they resonate with you as well? Are you kind of feeling that? Do they, do they resonate with, do they excite you? Do they challenge you to the core and excite you all at the same time? And then the flip side, the challenge, is that um, it's all very good and well to say that kind of thing, but how can we live like that? To know the love of God and then give it away. How can we love like God? How can we love like Jesus? Jesus said, no one has greater love than this than to lay, down his, to lay down one's life for one's friend. 
it's tough love. Laying down your life to love, love someone else. That sounds impossible, actually. <laughs> Especially for people we don't like very much. I'm, I'm just pointing this general direction. No, 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 you, um, yeah. you're okay. These guys I'm worried about. But there's really good news. There's really good news. This, okay, so that's hard. That's the flip side. But there's good news as we continue on in the John 1 passage. By this we know, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And, as, and we have seen and do testify that the Father has sent his Son as the Savior of the world. God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the Son of God, and they abide in God. So we have known and we believe the love that God has for us. And we'll continue on. God is love. I've already said that. Didn't need to say it again. God is love. And those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment, because as he is, so, we, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Those who say, I love God and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. <clears throat> the, way, the way to love like Jesus loves has to do with this word, abide. To abide in him. It's out of, out of a relationship with Jesus. A relationship that's so deep that somehow we abide in him and he abides in us. All at the same time. But abide isn't a word that we use all that often, is it? And I want to take a moment like, to think about what kind of ideas it raises for, for you, for us. And, and so I want to take a pause like to see that. In this moment, and reflect on this word "abide." You might never hear this ever again, but what I'm going to suggest is you get your phone out or your notebook, and then you open up your note-taking app before you open up Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or the news or the weather app or calendar, and then make a note. And right at the top of your note, write this word, abide. And then under that, just write down some, write down some ideas that, come in, that pop into your head. What does abide, what kind of things are popping into your head? What does abide mean, mean to you? What is, what is the Lord saying in this moment? This is not to share with anyone else. This is just for you, okay? I wanted to do this because I, I feel like this is something we can take away with us when we leave. What is abiding meaning? What do you mean, Lord? When you ask us to abide in you, what do you mean to us, Lord Jesus? The word, you can continue writing down things. I'm going to continue talking. The word in this passage is from a Greek word, which is a bit like man, oh man, but it's men, oh men. It's different. Men, oh men. And it conveys, it conveys actually a few ideas. One is uh, this idea to remain, abide, to remain. 
conveys the idea of sojourn. Of so, of so, so I, I don't even know how you pronounce that. Sojourn. Sojourn. Yeah, sojourn. That's it. To tarry, not to depart. To, to continue to be present, to be held, kept continually. In reference to time, it has this meaning of like continuing to be, continue to be, not to perish, to last, to endure, to survive, to live, to remain, to remain as one, not to become another or different, to wait or to await one. And so some translations, some of your translations will use phrases like to reside in him, to live, to reside in him, to reside in God, or to live in him, to live in God. That's cool. Hey, it's cool. That's cool. But we're about to go next level. We're about to go stratospheric, in fact. No, seriously, this is really powerful, powerful stuff. I've, I've been talking about Jesus and how love compelled him, compelled Jesus to go to the cross. That love compelled him to go to the cross and, and in going to the cross he nullified our infinite, infinite distance that sin had introduced into our relationship with God. And so now I want to jump to another John, John, the Gospel of John, chapter 15. And this is what Jesus says to us. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word, by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. He repeats it over and over again in this passage. I remember counting it once. I think it's like 15 times. He repeats it over and over. Abide in me, abide in me, abide in me. Apart from, apart from this relationship Apart from him, we can do nothing of, inter of eternal significance. We can't love like Jesus unless we abide in Jesus. And what I think is mind-blowing, this, this mind-blowing bit is right at the end where he says, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Just as Jesus abides in the love of the Father. Jesus himself, the greatest lover to ever walk this planet, the love that compelled him to hang out with outcasts and sinners and diseased people, demonized people, the unclean, the ones they thought they thought they were clean but they actually weren't. The love that compelled him to go to the cross. That love came from abiding in in the Father's love. It came from abiding in the Father's love, from that place of of relationship or presence of the love of the Father, living in, remaining in, sojourning in. Waiting in the love of the Father. And I think that is amazing. I think it's spectacular. 
My paraphrase is, abide in me and you'll bear good fruit. You'll be able to love others just as I bear good fruit and love others as I abide in the Father. This is why I wanted to think about this word abide. Because I reckon, man, if we could get a handle on that and go, God, show me today how am I going to abide in you, then it's out of that that we're actually able to be able to love others the way that Jesus loves others. Man, that's amazing stuff, God. Blowing my mind right there. Christian faith involves trusting that at the center of the universe is a being overflowing with love for his world, which means that the purpose of human existence is to receive this love that has come to us in Jesus and then give it back to others, creating an ecosystem of others-focused love, self-giving love. Oh, that's awesome. Man, it's challenging. It's a, it's, a challenge, it's a challenge to me, and it may or may not be a challenge to you. I don't know. Because there's a question, eh? Do we love God? Do I love God? And if the answer to that question is yes, then how do we treat others? How do I treat others? Are we selfless? Are we kind? Are we patient? Are we generous? Maybe in this, this recalibration, in this ground zero, this morning, the Holy Spirit is showing us that maybe we're not as loving as we think we are. Maybe now's the time to do something about it. As he's saying, as he's saying to you as well as me, you say you, say you love God, but you really don't love others. As he's saying, you need to return to that place of abiding in me, in God, in the heart and source of love, if you really want to be able to love God and to love others. And I, I you know, we're, we're approaching the end of the year, we've got school holidays coming up, you might get a break from your work and things are kind of winding down. But I feel like the Lord is telling me and, and telling us as a church, now is not the time to wind down. Now is not the time to wind down. Now is the time to ramp up. Now is the time to lean into me, to take steps of faith and boldness. Now is the time to respond to God, to respond to his initiating that he's doing in our hearts. Taking those steps. This summer, it hasn't been a great summer to, so far, to be honest. The last summery day we had was actually spring. It was Saturday a week ago, and since then it hasn't been a great summer. But this summer, this summer, I reckon, let's do what we can to abide in God and love others. Abide in God and love others. Like, <laughs> it's a bit cheesy. But let this summer be a summer of love. A summer of love, like this love that's flowing from the source of love, flowing in that river of God that I was on about at the start, from the throne of the Lord and our Saviour Jesus. Does that sound good? You want a bit of that? You want a bit of loving? We all want a bit of loving. Because we were created to receive love and we were created to give love. Hmm.
Um, there's this uh, verse in Romans. Actually, I'm going to read it in the, New, in the King James Version. It's in Romans 5. Um, okay, I'm going to look up my other, one, my other Bible. Just wait for it. Wait for it. It's coming. Here we go. Romans 5. 5. Romans 5. Romans 5. 5. Should have remembered that. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. I wanted to read the King James Version, the old King James, because it talks about the love of God being shed abroad in our hearts. And, man, I want us to be, I want us to have that love shed abroad in our hearts. And, uh, and that's what I'm going to ask for, okay? So, um, if you want some of that, then, um, actually, just everybody stand up um, and make it easy. <laughs> and um, what can we do? This, um, I'm just going to invite the Holy Spirit to come in and, um, and bless his children. And so, you know, you might want to adopt some posture of, of receiving um, if you want, but, um, but God is sovereign. And so it's not, about, it's not about what you look like, it's about what's going on on the inside, Okay. Oh God, you are love. You are love. And your Holy Spirit, your Holy Spirit is the one through whom we can know your love. So Holy Spirit, oh Lord, we just invite you now to come and have your way among us, Lord Jesus. Among us, Holy Spirit. Have your way in this place. Have your way in our hearts. Lord, um, I'm praying specifically that we would uh, experience your love for us, that incredible, infinite love, that eternal love, that love that has pre-existed time, that will, uh, that will that bears all things, that never ends. Lord Jesus, let us experience that love this morning. As we, as we abide in you, as we abide in your words and your truth and who you are, as we come under your covering, as we stand upon the foundation of who you are, your truth, our rock, our redeemer, Holy Spirit, fall afresh on your people this morning that we might be known as lovers, true lovers, as defined by you, that the world might know the love of God. But right now we're asking for a touch of your spirit, of your presence, of your Holy Spirit in our hearts. Come Holy Spirit. Through a river flow. Thank you God. Thank you God. We receive Lord. This is the true gift of Christmas. So we receive your gift Lord. Now, this is a bit weird, but can I suggest even like imagining you're receiving a receiving a gift um, from Jesus, and you're um, unwrapping it and you're opening it up and you're actually receiving it from Him. You're receiving His words where He says, "I love you, I love you, I love the way you are, I love the way you talk, I love the way you dress, I love the things you're into. Not all of them. Peppermint chocolates. I don't love those." <laughs> I love you. I love you, my child. I love your name. I love you because I've created you. 
I love you and I've died for you. I've redeemed you. I love you. I welcome you into my family. I call you brothers and sisters. I call you children of God. I love you so much that you don't have to be ashamed anymore. I love you so much that you don't have to uh, carry guilt or burden of, of sin anymore. I love you, I love you, I love you. I love you so much that you don't have to be worried about this afternoon or tomorrow or what happens. You don't have to, you don't have to fear death. You don't have to fear life. I love you so much. I love you so much that, that I want to shine my light into the deepest parts of your heart, the parts that, that you are too ashamed to even admit to yourself that they're there. Well, I want in. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. Your love, Jesus, is the most powerful force in the universe. More powerful than lightning and thunder and hail. More powerful than the systems of our world. More powerful than economics and petrol. Thank you, Jesus. So let your love come, Holy Spirit. Shed abroad your love in Capital Vineyard Church this morning. That we oh, that we might just know that we're your children. That we know, might know the joy of our salvation. And radiate out your, your love to you, Lord, our God. And to radiate your love to our families, our near ones, to others in this church. And to radiate your love out to the ones beyond these walls. Out in our city, out in our country. The ones that need to hear your truth. And to receive your love as well. So come Holy Spirit. We invite you now. We thank you for your presence. Thank you God. Thank you Father.